What is design thinking? More importantly, how does it fit into compliance? Join two fans of design thinking for the compliance profession, Tom Fox, the compliance evangelist, and Karsten Tams, ethical business architect and founder of Emigence LLC, as they explore how the compliance profession can use design thinking to more fully operationalize a compliance program. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I'd like to welcome you to the latest edition of the Compliance Podcast Network, Design Thinking and Compliance. In this initial episode, Carson Tams, my co-host, and myself take up the question of what is design thinking? Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I'm extraordinarily thrilled to bring you the premier episode of Design Thinking in Compliance. In the series, I'm going to be joined by my co-host, Karsten Tams. Karsten, I am so excited to be doing this podcast series with you. Uh, perhaps we could start off by uh, you telling us uh, what you're up to now, and more importantly, what got you so interested in design thinking? All right. Yes. Hi, hi Tom. And it's wonderful to be here with you to uh, discuss this topic. It's a true honor to be part of this uh, podcast. Um, yeah, my name is Karsten Thames, and I, um, I'm an independent consultant with Emergence uh, Consulting Boutique I've uh, founded in the, in the uh, ethics and compliance space. My, my primary concern always has been um, not just how we create adequate uh, ethics and compliance program, but also how we, we create uh, adequate, adequate engagement of employees in, in these programs. So in my work, I look at um, proven concepts from other fields uh, that help create user engagement. Um, so that includes design thinking, human-centered design, co-creation, nudging, signs of motivation, a few other things. Um, and I, I carry those over, I apply those to the field of ethics and compliance to find new avenues to create deeper, um, more positive employee engagement in, in the various things we do as ethics and compliance professionals. So, Karsten, uh, I got interested in design thinking a few years back. Uh, I took a course from uh, Columbia University. I wrote about it. Uh, but you uh, had a very interesting series on LinkedIn over the summer that got me sort of re-energized about compliance thinking. So I wanted to start off by asking you, what led you to uh, write your LinkedIn series and what is it about uh, design thinking that you think or you feel answers a question or a problem in the compliance space? Yeah, I was very excited when I came across your um, your piece on design thinking and compliance. But, you know, sometimes you you ponder some ideas and, and you think, wow, this could be really relevant for us. And, and you think, wow, but maybe it's just me, maybe I'm crazy. So when I, when I, when I saw your piece, I thought, well, maybe uh, there's, there's definitely more to it. Um, so yeah, as I, as I said, I, uh, for me, the big question was always, you know, how to create positive engagement. That, that has a little bit to do with my, my prior history also. I spent a lot of uh, years, many years in, in uh, human resources and Building, building corporate cultures that are that are highly engaging to employees, that motivate them, that uh, you know excite them to do their best to actualize their full human potential at work. Um, 
And so I brought that with me to, to, uh, to my role as uh, head of ethics and compliance in a large uh, multinational media company some years ago. And so that was always uh, the focus of my attention. And then, um, you know, uh, I, I encountered design thinking and I realized um, it really, that, that that's really um, a core focus of, of design thinking. Um, how, do we, how do we create solutions um, that positively re uh, resonate with with users, uh, that engage them, that they adopt, and, uh, and and many many companies, some of the most successful companies in the world, are, are applying design thinking uh, commercially to, to to produce better services, to produce more successful products. Um, and uh, I realized, you know, some of the key principles and the processes that that design thinking provides um, could really help us in the ethics and compliance space uh, to engender this similar effect, you know, to, to get employees to, uh, to really see value in, in the things we do, in the codes of conducts we, we create, in the, in the trainings we design, in the reporting systems we put at their disposal, and to make uh, active use of these things. Karsten, uh, the thing that excited me about design thinking when I first came across it was the sense of engagement. The engagement that a uh, company would have, uh, it started off with its customers and how to design a product or service that was customer oriented. Uh, I saw the same applicability to compliance, but frankly, you took it a step further. And your first article you posted, you had me literally from the first title which was effectiveness equaled engagement. Uh, how do you see design thinking as facilitating not simply engagement, but that next level of effectiveness? Yeah, so um, as I, you know, as I, as I mentioned, I think we've come a long way in ethics and compliance. You know, uh, you know many, many companies have, have uh, developed uh, comprehensive programs as, as defined by, by regulations and by leading industry practice. Uh, so we have established adequate procedures. Uh, but one thing that I, that I see lacking, uh, or I think where many of us still face an uphill battle, is, is generating adequate engagement, right? How, what, what can we do uh, for employees to pay attention and make positive use of, of the programs? That we provide to them, you know, will employees consult consult the ethics codes uh, when they have question? Do they see training as something that is informative, that's valuable and applicable to their work? Uh, when they have questions or observe problematic behavior, will they turn to the speak up mechanisms? Will they pick up the phone and call the ethics and compliance function? So, um, this. Um, so when I when I speak about the need for employee engagement, you know that's really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about really affecting behavior, uh, uh, um, uh, creating these 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 uh, this behavior chain that that ultimately I think um, our, our programs um, are meant to to produce and. Um, and in my view, so so that's that's where I say engagement equals effectiveness. You know, unless people use uh, these tools that we provide to them, that the tools are not effective. They are merely paper programs, and that that provides us with a certain, you know, maybe uh, legal uh, cover, if you will. You know, if something goes wrong, we can show yes, we have a code, yes, we have training, yes, we have speak up mechanisms, etc. 
um, but uh, have we truly affected employees' behavior? You know, have we really um, expanded their opportunities to uh, participate in a positive way in our efforts to maintain companies' ethical values? Uh, well, we haven't, and um, and I th uh, and it's very hard to come by uh, data. Um, on employee engagement and ethics programs, to the extent that I have found some data, it is uh, some some somewhat dated. Um, uh, you know, I feel like it has gone away. But um, uh, and and I'm wondering, you know, why is there not a greater interest in in this very important critical question? You know, how engaged are employees? How how much use do they make uh, of the systems? But uh, we know, for example. Uh, from from studies such as uh, from Gartner and also ECI surveys that uh, about uh, employees uh, and their use of ethical uh, ethics and compliance programs, we know we know that about half of employees report the misconduct they 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 observe, but uh, merely three to five percent actually turn to the ethics and compliance function uh, to do to do so. There was also a study by by the corporate executive board that found that um, you know two thirds of employees view compliance training as unsatisfying and irrelevant. Uh, so so that doesn't bode well for employee engagement. Um, SCCE did a did a did this interesting survey of compliance officers a few years back, which found that again about close to two thirds of of compliance professionals feel that their relationship with colleagues is is strained, is adversarial. Um, so uh, you know, which which present us with an interesting um, dichotomy. Uh, I, th you know, you, me, I think many, many ethics and compliance um, professionals we see extraordinary, extraordinary value in 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 our work. I mean, what could be in a way more noble than to help advance uh, companies' uh, ethical performance? Um, but uh, that. That positive connection with employees, that piece of trust, of engagement, I think that's that's the, that's the challenge. And I think design thinking has has answers to help us overcome that challenge. Uh, Karsten, there's a, a perhaps deeper issue I might want to explore with you for a few moments. Uh, I think every listener to one of my podcasts knows I'm a proud citizen of the great state of Texas. And uh, as they have listened to you in this podcast and in other events, they probably realize you are not from the great state of Texas and indeed uh, from Europe. But I want to use that as a way to introduce the following topic. When I uh, initially came into the compliance field, there was a dichotomy in the approach to compliance training and communication between the United States and Europe. Uh, uh, most generally, it was the United States tended to be rules-based with policies and procedures. And Europe tended to be values-based uh, with communicating the values of an organization uh, and then uh, not having a, a large number of rules. Uh, if you find that dichotomy valid, is that something that, uh, because of your professional background and your academic background, you brought to this uh, discussion where uh, communicating values is more important than simply laying laying down the rules, and is that one of the reasons you found design thinking uh, perhaps a useful tool for the compliance professional? Because it allowed a broader discussion 
of values and the reinforcement of values through this engagement that we see with design thinking? Um, yeah, that's that's a very uh, interesting um, angle, and um, I, I think there, there 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 might be a lot to it. Although I have to say, I've now lived in New York longer than in any other place in in my life uh, over twenty years, and my focus has been very very North American um, centered. You know, of course, always always with an eye to Europe as well, and to Germany in particular, where I was born. Um, so I, uh, my, my sense is that, uh, you know, we've also had a, a phase in Europe or globally where the, where the focus has been on regulatory compliance. Um, um, but there has been an interest, as you say, also on values. I think the interesting challenge that I see is not so much kind of the continental divide um, uh, or the Atlantic divide between Europe and, and North America. I think the challenge... Uh, for me, that is really, or the opportunity that is really intriguing, is to bridge um, the divide between, let's say, you know, the um, the uh, compliance as it has emerged out of, um, you know, very regulatory forward, uh, that, you know, legal focus, you know, post Enron, post post Worldcom, uh, largely driven by, um, you know, uh, attorneys, of course. Uh, which makes historically a lot of sense. So that on on one side and on the other side, you know, this this wealth of of ideas and of research coming from academia, coming from various interdisciplinary fields, be it sociology, be it psychology, be it uh, uh, behavioral economics and what have you, and bring more of these insights over into the ethics and compliance uh, field. Um, to to think more deeply, not just about okay, what what are the re- regulatory requirements that we have to comply with, but also you know how can we really truly um, get through to human behavior and and people's attitudes, feelings, emotions, uh, so that these all these regulatory things that we do and should do um, really have their full impact. And I think that's so. So that's yeah. Go ahead. One of the earliest precursors to these concepts to me was the following. Um, Siemens uh, had a very large Foreign Corrupt Practices Act enforcement action in 2008. And Siemens uh, CEO thereafter uh, really worked to communicate to the employees that this was not to happen again. But the thing that struck me was in the town halls that he held with Siemens employees, they were very upset about the fact that the company had value, uh, excuse me, had uh, violated what they believed a core value, which was we will not do business through bribery and corruption. And that employees really wanted those core values brought to the fore and their compliance program. And what Siemens did was not called design thinking, but it incorporated many of the concepts you've just talked about, starting with employee engagement, and that they were able to build on that uh, uh, employee sentiment that they wanted to work for an ethical company, and that was a core value, and that they were able to, to use that. Is that the type of engagement that design thinking is designed to harness and capture moving forward to many of the regulatory requirements that we now uh, have in place around policies and procedures, training, et cetera. Is, is that sort of the kind of thing that you could potentially tap into 
through uh, design thinking and, and even with your statement of uh, effectiveness equals engagement. No, uh, yeah, excellent point. So um, uh, I think that really puts the finger on, on, one of the, on, on one of the great opportunities that design thinking offers us in, in kind of re-envisioning re, uh, um, ethics and compliance, re-envisioning the role of employees in that process and, and putting values really at the center. Um, and let me quickly elaborate on that. Uh, one of the key principles that defines design thinking uh, is, is human-centered design. And the idea of human-centered design uh, at its basis is that if we want to create solutions, ethics and compliance solutions, trainings, codes, etc., that resonate with employees, then we really have to focus on the user. We have to understand who the users are, um, and what their needs are, what their aspirations are, um, and what their uh, capabilities are. Um, and uh, in my view, one of the... Um, and, and here's a really great opportunity for us, because historically, conventionally, I think, uh, our in our practice, due to its history, um, um, uh, you know, having, having uh, being driven through from a legal... From a legal um, the perspective and and following on the heels of uh, you know being motivated by responding to these big corporate scandals worldcom enron and what have you uh, you know the focus has been to view employees as um, through a deficit lens if you want to call it that you know to see them as as risk factors as potential delinquents and to 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 then to and that translated into strategies that were uh, focused on kind of constraining that risk of malfeasance of deviance. Uh, so you know we wrote codes that that specified f forbidden behaviors. You know we we instructed employees on the things they were not supposed to do. We monitored and we responded to deviance with with disciplinary sanctions. So that in 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 a nutshell, you know that was the strategic core of the of the early phase. However. You know, if we look at employees very closely, we discover that, yes, of course, uh, you know, that there is that, you know, we are all human, we are all fallible. There is this, this risk of uh, ethical uh, lapses. Uh, but at the same time, there is also something that the, the eminent uh, uh, psychologist Albert Bandura, who sadly recently passed away, uh, but what he called uh, human moral agency and specifically promotive moral agency. And what this is, is that every human being more or less has, has a positive capacity to participate in, in shaping the world. That's, that's what he calls human agency. You know, we all have a desire to, to participate in shaping the circumstances of our lives, of our social lives and um, moral human agency uh, then applies to this this ethical aspect. You know, we also want to participate in shaping and upholding the, the social norms, the ethical values that um, that that are relevant in in the social uh, groups, the communities that we are part of, including our work work lives. Um, so so uh, that may, means we people have a have a capacity, you know, to participate. Uh, actively, proactively in 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 shaping norms, in uh, they come with values to work, and we see that now. If we look at the workplaces, you know, we've uh, we we see often that uh, employees challenge their management to be more ethical. Right? Think of think of some walkouts. Think of 
whistleblowers. You know, um, anti-fraud studies show us that the primary source for fraud detection are employees. You know, who who, who reveal misconduct, um, and. Um, so when we expand our understanding of, of human capability in this in this ethical space, you know this opens up the space for other um, complementary strategies. So now it's not just about constraining people's potential formal feasance. The, the focus shifts somewhat towards you know how can we support employees? What can we provide? You know what resources, tools, information skills can we make available to to our colleagues um, to support them in fully actualizing their potential to participate in this in the shared responsibility of governance and the shared responsibility of upholding the ethical values of the company and once we shift the language and the strategy into that direction uh, we will find that uh, employees have a much better view of, of ethics and compliance, they, they are much more likely to engage with, uh, you know, the code, the training and what have you. And there are some interesting studies to support to support that argument. But I hope that makes that makes sense too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. Uh, unfortunately, we're near the end of our time for our inaugural episode. But I hope our listeners will join us for our next episode where we uh, take a little bit deeper dive into what is design thinking and what is human-centered design? Karsten and I look forward to you continuing the conversation. Me too. Thank you, Tom. This is Tom Fox. Thank you for listening to this first episode of Design Thinking and Compliance. I hope you will join Carson and I again for our next episode. Carson and I have both written on design thinking and compliance, and we're going to link to those articles in the show notes please check them out for additional resources. I have two other podcasts to tell you about. The first one is Effing Argentina, a little bit different direction for the Compliance Podcast Network, where I visit with Greg Greenberg, the author of Effing Argentina, which are 11 tales of exasperation in the modern life. If you want a humorous look at exasperation, this is the podcast for you. Also, a yank at Oxford, where I, with my co-host David Simon, we detail his journey to Oxford to get an MBA while David is practicing law and in his mid-50s. It's going to be a fascinating series. That podcast has had its first episode drop, and it will appear quarterly as David checks in to tell us about his experiences in getting an MBA at Oxford. Design Thinking and Compliance is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.